Welcome to Late in Space, a special edition with Wing Lian, but also with our new guest host, <laughs> Alex. Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome. Again, needs no introduction. I think it's like your sixth time on Late in Space already. I think so, yeah. <laughs> and welcome, Wing. We just met, but you, you've, you've been very prolific online. All right, thanks for having me. Yeah. So you are in town. You're not local. You're in town. You're from Minneapolis? Annapolis. Annapolis. Yeah, it's funny because like a lot of people think it's Indianapolis. I've get I've gotten Minneapolis. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I used to live out at least in the San Francisco Bay Area years ago, from like 2008 to 2014. So it's fairly familiar here. Yep, yep. You're the maintainer of Exolotl now, which we'll get into. You're very, very prolific in the open source AI community, and you're also the founder of the Open Access AI Collective. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Maybe we can go over a little bit of your backgrounds into tech and then coming into into AI, and then we'll cover what happens and why you're here. Yeah. So background in tech. So I, I started years ago. I started way back when I was scraping apartment websites for listings and then and then build, building like SEO optimized pages and then just throwing Google AdSense on it. And that got me through like college, basically. <laughs> Is that decent money? And what year was this? Like 2004, 2005. Yeah, so that's like, decent money. It was like a thousand bucks a month. But yeah. as a college student, that's like gravy, really good money, right? <laughs> so and then there's just too much competition. It's just sort of like died off. I was writing stuff in like Perl back then using like, mm. like who nobody hosting anything on Perl anymore, right? Still did a little bit more like computer tech support and then software and web more professionally. So I spent some time working on applications in the blood industry. I came out to San Francisco for, I, I was at SGN, so Social Gaming Network as a startup. They started doing fa- with Facebook apps and then they pivoted into doing mobile apps. And then from there, I spent time at of quite a few more startups since then, and in the last few years, I've been in the music space. So, like, I was at United Masters for a while, and then past year, I've been at um, SoundCloud, but not doing that anymore. And now that I have a lot more time, it's just like, all right, we're going full bore on Axolotl, and we're gonna we're gonna crush AI. So, yeah, totally. You so you're here in town for the open source AI meetup that we had yesterday. Yeah, yeah, that was amazing. Um, yeah, it was a Olama. big collection. Yeah. Olama, News Research, Alignment Lab. Anyone else that I miss? I mean, Jeremy Howard is his own thing. Yeah. <laughs> and Alex, you, you're also there. You, you love to bring SF to the world. Your, your takes? It's incredible that we recorded a Thursday Eye episode after after that one. And uh, LDJ, who's usually co-host Thursday Eye, just like briefly mentioned, oh, yeah, you know, I talked, like I saw Karpathy and then I talked with Jeremy Howard and the guy from Mistral came in. It's like he's talking about all these titans of industry, basically, that outside yeah, of SF, you just don't meet casually hanging out in the same space. You can't pull somebody. He ran into the Lalo from, from Mistral. He ran into him while drinking water. He didn't even know he was there. It's just that type of stuff is really hard to find outside of SF. So absolutely, absolutely great. And also presentations from Alignment Labs, presentations from News Research, News uh, talked about Forge and yeah. some of the other yeah, stuff they I mean, announced. We can say now they're officially a company. Yeah. I met Technium. Yeah. He came over here. He didn't, wanna, this, this, he didn't uh, want to get recorded, but maybe. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. We'll, we'll wear him down at some point. So. Yeah, I'm excited for Forge. They've positioned as this agentic sort of framework where it's just drag and drop things and fill in text with where you want to inject different variables and it opens up all of these potentials for data pipelines now, right? And using your own local LLMs and not relying on GPT-4 or anything like that. Yeah, 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 good stuff. Okay, so let's maybe go into the Axolotl origin story and then we have have some intro or background 
to do on like the open source model universe and also on fine tuning. But maybe just since you're talking about your personal journey, what was your personal journey into Exolotl? Yeah, so my personal journey started like back in mid-March, completely unrelated to AI and Axolotl. And it really started, I fell while skiing, I torqued grade three MCL sprain, and being sort of like an active person that can no longer be active because the two couldn't play soccer because that is requires to have having knees until I was healed. So I decided I needed to find something to do to take up my free time. And that became, well, let's learn how to train in these language models. It was everywhere. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to sit down, learn. I think I used like other, I think I was using like Alpaca Laura because I think the Alpaca paper had just came out, come out then. So I was like using the Alpaca Laura repo and sort of like learning how to use like, none of us were like GPU rich back then and none of us, most of us still, we're still all <laughs> GPU poor. But I was doing, what was it, like four bit, Alpaca or there was like a four bit version where we were doing quant or eight no eight bit quantizations and then I think they had released Qlora a little bit later. And I think right when before Qlora came out, I was already starting to do fine tunes, but having this need to sort of like mix data sets together. And if you've ever looked at all the various different data sets available on Hugging Face, they all have various different prompt formats. And it's sort of a nightmare. And then I think the other piece is if you've ever tried to fine tune, at least back then, probably the ecosystem's a little better now. Everybody required that you say, all right, you put your hyperparameters as command line arguments. And so it's always like, well, I now have to go copy and paste my previous thing and to change things out. And I really wanted it to be in a YAML file because it was more portable and reproducible. So I was doing that. And then the QLore paper came out. Tim Detmers announced that, and then somebody looked it up for me yesterday, and it's like, between that announcement, it took us seven days to get that integrated into Axolotl, right? Which is like, it's not, I wouldn't say it's really fast, but in a manner that was in a reusable framework, I think it was quite the accomplishment then. And so we started picking up traction with people there. And then it's just been building models and then just iterating what my needs are. So, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I, I want to ask for folks who are listening who never heard of Axolotl, now do you describe how you got there? Can you, how, how do you summarize this for folks who maybe haven't fine-tuned <laughs> anything? They know about open source LLM exists, they maybe know, like, Llama, what's Axolotl for somebody who never heard of, a, like, a data set curation creation? Yeah, does, yeah, we sort of have to t- take a step back and understand that when, you're, when you've got these language models, you're, you have what I think most people refer to as, like, base models, also known as, like, foundational models, right, where some benefactor, whether it's Meta or Mistral or, you know, whoever, has gone and spent all this money to train these models on huge corpuses of text, right? And these, these corpuses, they're generally good across lots of different things, but they're really good at just saying, talking on and on and on, but they're not good at following instructions or having chats or anything like that. So when you think about fine-tuning, it's like saying, all right, we have this really sort of good generalized text completion thing, and I want to turn it into something that I can talk to or have follow instructions. So I think fine-tuning is probably best defined in, like that. Okay, got it. And we actually do want to make sure that we have like a 
overall introduction to fine tuning for people because mm. for, again like trying to make sure that we bring everyone along in this in this journey we already went into LoRa's and QLoRa's without explaining what they are oh yes um, yes sorry <clears throat> and so I, I will put things in my words and and you can correct me as uh, as, as as my I'll be the village idiot here. So, so fine tuning is basically sort of grabbing an open source model off the shelf and and then basically doing further training on it with a custom data set of of your own. Primarily, people use it. Think about it as fine tuning for JSON output or fine tuning for a, a style of response. Uh, let's say you wanted to be to tell jokes or be funny or be short or mm. whatever. But you guys. Just the open source AI community has really fine-tuned in all sorts of different manners. I think we'll go over those those things now. Let's go over those things now, and then we'll talk about fine-tuning methods. So there's a universe of people who fine-tune stuff. Yesterday in your slides, you had, I'll just list some of these, and then we'll maybe go through some of them, right? So Technium is personally leading Open Hermes, which is, I think, the sort of premier model out of the news, news community. There's Open Orca, which you had a hand in. Mm-hmm. News, the news research itself also has Capybara and Puffin and all the others. There's Pygmalion, which I've never messed with. Eric Hartford, I, I am aware of all his uncensored models and the Samantha models. Disco Research with Disco LM. And then you personally have done Manticore, Minotaur, Jackalope, and Hippogriff. What should people know about all these names? Like being a part of AI Twitter is seeing all these things and going, "Dude, I'm being like DDoS by all these things," and I don't know how how different they are. What should people know? Yeah, so I th- I think on a lot of these models, generally, we like to think of those as sort of general models. So if you think about it, what is what is GPT four? What is ChatGPT? It's a good general model, and then. One like one of the services I think that OpenAI offers is like these fine tunings where you're you're a business and you have very specific business use cases and you might fine tune for that use case. All of these models are really just general use case that you can then go and maybe f- fine tune another lore over it for your use cases. But they tend to be good with good being relative. It's open source. Open source AI is still sort of in infancy, so good is. It's pretty reasonable. It's probably still better than most high schoolers at answering questions and being able to like figure things out and and reasoning skills and math and those sorts of things, right? And also as measured on the Hugging Face leaderboard. Yes, well, which is... we, there, that's like a whole other discussion, right? There's a whole other group of people who, and I, I mostly agree with them that benchmarks can be are pretty bogus these days. LM says I think they published something recently where even if you think the data set's not contaminated, you can go and find con- contamination. And maybe we should step back and say what contamination is, right? So we have all of these data. When you go and do these benchmarks, there's a specific data set where there are these questions, and you usually it's multiple choice. And what can happen is, well, sometimes someone puts the question maybe maliciously, maybe accidentally into the training data set, and now the the, your model knows how to answer the test questions really well, but it, does, it hasn't generalized the ability to actually do that, right? We've seen some folks competitively announce models that are like the best at that leaderboard, but then it's it's quite obvious that... In, in open source? Yeah, in, in that leaderboard. Yeah. For Hagen Face specific, I don't know LMCs if that had suffered, but we, there's been some models that seem to have been competitively trained and some leakage happened into the yeah. like 
and ha- is, is, I understand once there's been a credible uh, assertion, Hugging Face actually does take them down, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's just really hard to know, right? It's really like, hard to know. Sometimes to it's like the PR accident. Is, oh, yeah. oops. You're going through you a mixer. <laughs> and I think a responsible acknowledgement that this kind of happened to you is also important. I, I saw uh, LDJ from News Research kind of acknowledge that because uh, many of these data sets are collections of other data sets, right? There's like a bunch of people are baking, basically. It's alchemy, mm-hmm. right? And so sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you pull a, a open source data set and then they announce, oh, you know what? Actually, the MMLU benchmark, which we use to specifically identify models, that did go into this data set that then went into that data set. So sometimes it's actually an accident and folks take it down. But I've seen some competitive folks who want to put their name out there because people are starting to notice which, which oh, yeah. is the yeah, top yeah. model. For those who want a fun take on this, so the Phi One data, uh, Phi One model from Microsoft was accused of being con- contaminated, and I saw this joke paper that was fantastic. It was called "Training on the Test Set is All You Need." <laughs> like here's a super small model that just memorizes everything. <laughs> it was fantastic. So yeah, contamination. I think we've actually covered it in a previous episode okay, before, so right. we're good. But I, I again, I want to give people a map into the open source AI model uh, okay, uh, universe. Oh, yeah. And Alex, you can also jump in here because you guys have spent a lot more time with them than I have. Uh, so what should people know about Technium? What should people know about news? And then we just kind of go down the list. Yeah, I think so. I think if we start with Technium, when you talk to him, he's going to say, I think I think his response is that he wants to build GPT-4 on his laptop, right? So very, very good at building general models. I think with news, news research, they're looking at more sort of more, more research focused things that like, like their yarn models. I don't, I don't, they didn't actually train their, they had, they had their own trainer for their yarn models, but so like, they did not use Exolotl for that. They one. didn't use that, but like, is that you don't have support for it? I think we do support yarn i think i'd have to double check that answer yeah, i'm just kind of curious what you can and cannot support and yeah what i mean yarn is supportable it's basically i think it's just replacing i think the the rope part of that so right. yeah not yeah, not a, not a big deal yeah, yeah it's not a big deal it's just haven't gotten to it uh, no, <laughs> not enough people have asked i think a lot of people ask for other things so it's just squeaky wheel right i think at the end of the day people are like building these data sets and i think if you sort of map things chronologically these make more sense because it's like how do we imp- incrementally improve all of these models? So a lot of these models are just incremental improvements over the last thing, right? Whether it is sort of through methods of how do we, how did we curate the data set? How did we improve the quality of the data set? So you, maybe LDJ talked about it, right? On I think for for Capybara and Puffin, like how the, those were very uh, specific data set curation techniques that he works on. So there's uh, folks are doing this for data set curation. Folks are doing this for sk- skill set building as well. Definitely. People understand that open source is like very important, especially after the 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 march, the debacle, the OpenAI weekend that we all had, and people started noticing that even after development day in OpenAI, the APIs went out, and then after that, the whole leadership of the company swiftly changed, and people there was worries about you know how can people continue building AI products based on these like shaky grounds that turned attention definitely to Technium at least in OpenRMS I started seeing this more and more on Twitter but also other models and many companies they kind of start with OpenAI just to get there quick and then they they think about okay maybe I don't want to share my knowledge maybe I don't want to sign up for Microsoft maybe they will change their terms and conditions so 
what else is out there. They turned to other companies. Up until yesterday, Google was nowhere to be found. We've talked about Gemini a little bit before in a pre- previous. And you can tune into Thursday Eye. Yeah, you can tune into Thursday Eye. We, we yeah. covered the, the Gemini release a little bit. and But many are turning into the open source community and, and seeing that Meta released and continues to release and commit to open source AI. Mistral came out and the model is way smaller than, than Llama and performs significantly better. People play with Open Hermes, which is currently Technium's based news news research sourced axolotl trained mm-hmm. Open Hermes, I assume, right? Yeah. Uh, and then they play with this and they see that, okay, this is like GPT 3.5 quality. We had GPT 4.5 birthday just a week ago. A week ago, a year ago, a week ago, we never interacted with these models of this caliber. And now there's one open source one on my laptop, completely offline, that I can continue improving for my use cases. So enterprises, companies are also noticing this. And the open source community folks are building the, the skill set, not only the data sets. They're building the actual kind of, here's how we're going to do this with Axel Adel, with these data sets. The curation pieces is now interesting. There's like recipes of curation. The actual model training is kind of a competitive thing where people go and compete on these leaders boards that we talked about, the LMC's arena, and that recently added Open Hermes and recently added Open Chat and a bunch of other stuff that are super cool, the Hugging Face open source leaderboard. And so there's a competitive aspect to this. There's the open source aspect to this. Like Technium says, I want GPT-4 on my laptop. There's the let me build a skill set that potentially turns into a company like we saw with News. News just started is organizing a bunch of people on Discord and suddenly they're announcing their company. It's happening across all these modalities and suddenly all these people who saw these green pastures and a fairly quick way to, hey, here's a cool online community I can start doing cool stuff with. You mentioned the same in the beginning, right? Like after your accident, what's cool? Let me try this out. Suddenly start noticing that there's a significant movement of interest in enterprising companies into these areas. And this skill set, these data sets, and, and this community is now very, very important. Important enough to create an event which pulls in Andrew Kapati from OpenAI to come and see what's new. Jeremy Howard, like the event that we just talked about, people are flying over, and this is just a meetup. So definitely, the, the, the community is buzzing right now. I think Axelotl is a big piece as well. Cool. Yeah. Maybe we can talk about like Orca real quick, Orca yes. or Open Orca rather. I think there was a lot of buzz when the first Orca paper came out. And, okay. and just briefly, what is Orca? Yeah, Orca was basically having traces of like chain of thought reasoning, right? So they go and they they distill sort of GPT four. They take they take a sampling of data from the Flan data set. Maybe we can like add some show notes in the Flan data set. Yeah, but we, yeah. we've covered it. Okay, cool. And then. You, use GPT-4 to say, all right, explain this in a step-by-step reasoning, right? And then you take that and you they train the model and it showed very good improvements across a lot of benchmarks. So OpenOrca was sort of the open reproduction of that since Microsoft Research never released that particular data set. And going back to sort of the Hugging Face leaderboard thing, those models did really well. And then I think so f- sort of the follow-up to that was SlimOrca, right? I think going into and building the OpenOrca data set we never really went in and validated the actual answers that GPT-4 gave us. So what we did was one from OpenChat actually cross-referenced the original Flan, the original Flan response, the human response is the correct answers with the data set. And then I went and took it and sent all of both of them to GPT-4 and said, is this answer mostly correct, right? Yeah. And then we were able to filter the data set from at least of the GPT-4 only answers from like 800,000 to like 500,000 answers or rose and then and then retrain the model and it had the same performance as the original model to within i think point oh point one percent here about and 30 you know, percent less data so yeah okay 
Interesting. So, the, I mean, the, well, there's there's so much there that I want to f- highlight. But yeah, or- Orca is in- interesting. I do want people to know about it. Putting chain of thought into the data set, like it yeah. just makes a ton of sense. One thing I, I think it would be helpful for people to scope things, these things out is how much data are we talking about when when you when people are fine tuning, and then how much time or resources or money does it take to train to to fine tune? Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of overlap there with sort of like fine tuning techniques. But let's say. Orca and I think even Hermes, they're both relatively large data sets. Like the yeah, tokens. Yeah. So large data sets being or, the original Orca was or the original open Orca was eight hundred thousand rows, I believe it was somewhere in the ballpark of like a gigabyte of data, of gigabyte of text data. And I, I don't I I believe Hermes was is like a quarter million rows of data. I don't know the actual byte size on that particular one. So going and training a let's let's say everybody's training seven billion Mistral right now, right? So to tra- I I believe to fine tune seven billion Mistral on let's say eight A six thousands which have forty eight gigabytes of VRAM, I believe it takes about forty hours. So forty, and then that's depending on where you get your compute, forty times six. So it's like five hundred dollars. To fine tune that model, so and and that's assuming you get it right the first time, right? So yeah, you know, so. is is that something that Axolotl handles, like getting it right the first time? And if you talk to anybody, it's like you've probably tried at least three or four runs or experiments to like find the right hyperparameters. And after a while, you sort of have a feel for like which where you need your hyperparameters to be. Usually, you might do like a partial training run, do some benchmark. So I guess. For Al Farouk, whether you're going by his his actual name or his Twitter handle, he released the Dharma data set, which is basically a subset of all of the benchmarks. And Axolotl actually supports, you know, taking that subset and then just running many benchmarks across your model at every time you're doing an, an evaluation. So you can sort of like see sort of relative it's not going to be the actual benchmark score, but it, you can get ideas. All right, is this benchmark improving? Is this benchmark decreasing based on the... Wait, know, wh- why don't you run the full benchmark? What, what, what is, what? The full benchmarks take... Take a long time. Significant, yeah, significant amount of time. Yeah. And Okay, so there's like mini MMLU, like yeah. mini Big Bench or whatever. Yep, exactly. That's really cool. We, when I joined Wednesday Masters just recently, and one of the things that I try to do is, hey... I'm not. I'm a software engineer by trade, right? Like I, I don't have a MLE background, but I joined a company that does primarily MLE, and I wanted to learn from the community because a lot of the open source community they use weights and biases, mm-hmm. and the, the the benchmark that you you said that Pharrell did remind me the name. Sorry, Dharma. Dharma. Yeah, yeah. So so Luigi showed me how Dharma kind of shows inside the dashboard in weights and biases dashboard, and so you can actually kind of see the training run, and then you can see per each kind of iteration or or epoch, or you can see the model in improving, trending. So you can, on top of everything else the Weights and Biases gives, like hyperparameter tracking, which like you, you started with command line and that's really hard to like remember. Also the Dharma that I said, like the quick, the mini Orca, mini MMLU, mini, many different things. It's pretty cool to like visualize them as well. And I I heard that he's working on a new version of, of Dharma, so Dharma 2, etc. So hopefully, hopefully we'll see that soon. But definitely it's hard, right? You start this training run, it's at like 40, 50 hours sometimes. Sometimes it's like you're SSHing into this machine. You you start a process, you send it with God, and you just go about your day collecting data sets, and then you have to return. And the whole process of instrumentation of this is still a little bit like squeaky, but definitely 
tuning performance or like grabbing performance in the middle of this, like with Dharma and some other tools, is, is very uh, very helpful to to know that you're not wasting precious resources going somewhere you shouldn't go. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Maybe I'll, I'll before we go into like sort of more details on fine tuning stuff. I just wanted to round out the rest of the Exolotl verse. There's <laughs> there's still Eric Hartford stuff. I don't, you know, you want to talk about Pygmalion, Disco, any, anything that you know about those those things? Just yeah, I think like one of the, the definitely one of the more interesting ones was like the Disco 120B, right? Yeah, I know you nothing know. about it. Tell me. Yeah, so so um, Alpin from from Pygmalion AI, right? So they so Pygmalion is a sort of a it's it's they have their own community. A lot of it is based around role play models, those sorts of things. And Alpin like put together, merged together Llama 270B. So I don't remember how he stacked them together, whether he merged the layers in between. There's a whole there's a whole toolkit for that by Charles Goddard, where you can like take a single model and like stack them together or multiple models merge. That's like a whole other talk and a whole other tool set, but was able to create this 120 billion parameter model out of Llama 270B. And then I believe that, yeah, Disco is a fine tune of, of the, the, the sort of the base 120B is, I believe, Goliath 120B. So. And what are the headline results that people should know about this go? I think for the headline results, I I've I haven't played with it personally because it's it's a very large model and there's a lot of GPU, right? But like from what I've heard anecdotally, it, it performs really well. The responses are very good. Even with like just even the base model is a lot better than Llama seventy B. So and we I think generally everybody's like we would all love to fine tune Llama seventy B, but it's just it's so much it's so much memory, so much compute, right? So. I, want, I want to touch on this point because the interesting thing that comes up out of being in this ecosphere and like being friends with open source folks, tracking week to week state of the art performance on different models. First of all, a lot of the stuff that the folks do a couple of weeks ago, and then something like Mistral comes out, and a lot of the stuff back then doesn't technically make sense anymore. Like the artifacts of that work, the actual artifacts, they don't no longer make sense. They're like lower and the on, on the Hagen face leaderboard or lower on LMC's leaderboard. But some of the techniques that people use, definitely the data sets, the data sets keep traveling, right? So Open Hermes, for example, is a data set that Technium cleaned up for only open sourceable data that previously was just Hermes. And that, it was previously used to train Llama. And then once Mistral came out, it was used to train Mistral and then became significantly better on the 7B base Mistral. So the data sets keep traveling, keep getting better a little bit here and there. And so the techniques improve as well. It looks like <laughs> so both things are simultaneously true. The artifacts of a month and a half ago, the, the actual models themselves, it's great that Hagen Face has them because not every company can keep up with the next weeks. Oh, I'll install this model instead, let's install this model instead. But the, the techniques and the, the data sets keep improving as we go further. And I think that's really cool. However, the outcome of this is that for a long time, for many, many people, including us, that we do this every week, we literally like talk with people who, who release these models every week, it's really hard to know. So there's a few aspects of this. Once, I think, like you said, the bigger models, the 70B models, you actually have to have somebody like Perplexity, for example, giving you access to the 70B really fast. Or you have to like actually find some compute, and it's expensive, especially for the bigger models. For example, Falcon 180B came out, like the hugest open source model. <laughs> How do you evaluate this Nobody if you can't run it? it. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's really so. First of all, nobody liked it. But secondly, uh, only the people who were able to find compute enough to run inference on this, they only had like a, I can't run this on my laptop, and so that's why it's much easier. Some like OpenERMS seven B seven B is much easier because you can run this in your MacBook. It's yeah. much easier to evaluate. It's much easier to like figure out the the vibes, right? Everybody talks about the vibes as an evaluation check. Yeah. If you're plugged in enough, if you follow the right people, if they say pretty much the same things all independently, then you run into a problem of whether they're repeating and their stochastic pairs are repeating the same thing or they actually evaluated themselves yeah, you never know That's but you, you never know but like i think on a large enough scale on twitter you start getting the feel and we all know that like open Hermes is one of the top performing models benchmarks but also vibes vibe check and i just wanted to highlight this vibes checks thing because you can have the benchmarks you can have the evaluations they potentially have contamination in them potentially they they not not necessarily tell you the whole story because some models are good on benchmarks but then you you talk to them they're not super helpful and i think it's a combination of like the, the benchmarks the leaderboards the the chatbot because lmsys remember their their ranking is not only based on benchmarks it's also people playing with their arena stuff people actual like humans like get to answers they completely ignore benchmarks yeah and then they, they only do elo the, oh they, they do elo com yeah. completely right so yeah. that for example is just like people playing with both models and say hey i prefer this one I prefer that one yeah. but also there's like some some selection bias the type of people who will go to lmc's to play with yeah. the models yeah. they're a little bit specific in terms of like who they are and it's very interesting. There's so many models. People are doing this in this way, that way. Some people are doing this for academic rigor only to test out new ideas. Some people are actually doing this, like the Intel fine tunes of Mistral. Intel wanted to come out and show that their hardware is, uh, approach is possible, Mistral, etc. And it's really hard to know like what to pick, what to use, and especially on the bigger models, like you said, like the Llama 70B, the Falcon 180B. It's really because like who get, who has the compute to to, to validate those? Yeah, totally. So I would mention that like use with caution. Like <laughs> go and research and and see if the, the the biggest model that just released was actually worth the tokens and the money you spend on it to try and if you're a business to integrate it. Since you said use of caution, I'll bring in one issue that has always been in the back of my mind whenever I look at the entire universe of open source uh, AI models, which is that 95% of the data is derived from GPT-4, correct? Mm -hmm. Which technically you can't use for commercial licenses, right? What, what, is, what is the community's stance on this, this kind of stuff? I think from the community stance, like... I feel like a lot of us are just experimenting. So for us, it's like we're not going and building a product that we're trying to sell, right? We're just building a product and because we think it's interesting and we want to use it in our day-to-day -day lives, whether or not we try and integrate like it. personal like, use, yeah. Yeah, our personal use. So like as long as we're not selling it, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I, and but I like think I as a company cannot just take Open Hermes and start serving it and make money on it. Open Hermes, you can. Because the, 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 the opening Open Hermes, I think, is a cleanup that oh, Tickman really? did okay. after the regular Hermes. Please, folks, check your licenses before you listen to podcasts and say, it's hey, just, Alex told so me messy. that it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I will tell you, though, you could say the same thing about OpenAI. You could say oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the same thing kind of makes sense where OpenAI or Stability AI trains their diffusion model on a bunch of pictures on the internet, and then the, the court kind of doesn't strike down Sarah Silverman, I, I, yeah. I think, or somebody else who uh, came and said, hey, this has my work in it because of the way how it processes 
and the the model eventually builds this knowledge into the model and then it doesn't actually reproduce one-to-one what, what happened in the data set you could claim the same thing for open source like we're using and by we i mean the the open source community that i like happily report on uses gpt4 to rank for example which is the better answer you you, you th- that's how you build one one type of data set right or dpo or something yeah, DPO, like this yeah. you you basically generate data set of like a question and four answers for example and then you go to gpt4 and say hey smartest model in the world right now up to gemini ultra that we, <laughs> we should mention as well which one of those choices is better? But the choices themselves are not necessarily written with GPT-4. Some of them may be, so there's like full syntax data sets, but there's also data sets that are just ranked with GPT-4, but they're actually generated with a sillier model, or like the, the less important model. Yeah. The lines are very blurry as to what type of stuff is possible or not yeah. possible. And again, when you use this model that's up on Hugging Face, the license says you can use this, OpenAI is not gonna come after you, the user. If anything, OpenAI will try to say, hey, let's prevent this this type of things happening and the brain. But I honestly don't think that they could know even. Not yeah. that it makes it okay. It's just like they also kind of do this with the Internet's yeah. archive. And also I think that some of it is fair use. You use models to help you augment tasks, which is what GPT-4 lets you do. And yeah, so, the, the worst thing that OpenAI can do is just kick you off OpenAI. That's because it's it's only enforcing the terms of service. Sure, but but just like to make sh- to to clarify who they're gonna kick out, they could kick out like news or, or for example, if news are abusing the terms of service, as a user of the open source fully Apache two open source, for example, they won't get kicked out if they use both just because they use both. I don't I don't believe so. I don't think the OpenAI has a claim for that. Well, yeah. well, we're not lawyers, but I was just—I yeah. just want to mention it for people yeah. to to know it's an issue. And, and one of the things, like I talked to someone recently, and I think that they also are like interested in it, but also to the point of like, right? If I use a model trained on data using GPT for data, but I use that model to then regenerate new data, is that model is that <laughs> data okay? So like you start going down this whole rabbit hole. It gets like, murky real yeah. fast. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. All right, fantastic. Cool. Well, uh, th- th- I think that's roughly highlights most of the open source universe. You also have your own models. Do you want to shout out any one of them? Yeah, particular? I mean, I think like I think early on, Manicore got a lot of love. I think it was mostly popular in like the roleplay communities. It was it tended to be pretty truthful. It tended to be like have relatively good answers, depending on who you ask, right? But I think for me, it was just. Releasing models was a way to try and like continue to build out the product, figure out what I needed to put into the product. How how do I make it faster? How and if you if you've got to like go and debug your product, you may as well make, yeah have it do something useful. Awesome. So yeah. Okay, and then maybe we'll talk about just fine tuning techniques. So this is a little, this is going to be a little bit more technical than just talking about model names and data sets. Mm-hmm. So we started off talking about Laura, QLaura. I just learned from your readme. There's ReLaura, which I've never heard about could you, could you maybe talk about like just parameter efficient fine tuning that that whole that whole journey like what people should know yeah so with parameter efficient fine tuning i think the, the popular ones again being let's we'll start with lore right so usually what you do is you freeze all the layers on your base on the base model and then you at the same time you sort of introduce additional Oh, this is tight now. <laughs> you, you, you introduce another uh, set of layers over it and then you train those and it is done in a way that is mathematically possible but particularly with lore is that you can then you tr- you when you when you train the model you you run your inputs through the rig- the base model whose weights are frozen but you then you also run it through the additional weights and then at the end you combine the weights and then and then or you combine the weights to get your outputs 
And then at the end, and when you're done training, you're left with this other set of weights, right, that are in, completely independent and only for the fine tuning, and you've left the base model completely alone. And then from that, what you can do is some person smarter than I figured out, well, oh, they've done it in such a way that now I can merge these weights back into the original model without changing the architecture of the model, right? So, so that tends to be like the go-to, and it's a you're you're training at much fewer parameters, so that when you do that, you yes, you still need to have all of the original weights, but you have a smaller gradient, you have a smaller optimizer state, and you're just training less less weights. So it so you can tend to train those models on like much smaller GPUs. Yeah, and it's roughly like what what I've seen what I've seen out there is roughly like one percent the number of parameters that you're training. Yeah, that sounds about right. Which is uh, yeah. that much cheaper. So um, Axolotl supports full fine tune LoRa, QLoRa, ReLoRa, and GPTQ. Yes. So, so QLoRa is is very similar to LoRa. The paper was, if I remember correctly, the paper was rather traditionally. Most people who did LoRa's were tra- were they were quant they were putting the model weights in eight bit, and then fine tuning parameter efficient fine tuning over the LoRa weights. And then with QLoRa, they were quantizing all of those. They were then quantizing the weights down to four bit. Right, and then I believe they were also training on all of the linear layers in the model. And then with Relor, that was an interesting paper. And then I think like it got implemented. I, some people in the community tried it, tried it out, and sh- it showed that it didn't really have the impact that the paper indicated that it would. And from what I was told recently, that they re I guess they re-released something for Relora like a few weeks ago, and that it's possibly better. I have, I personally haven't. What had was time. the main difference apart I, from quantization? I don't know. Okay. What was the main difference? Sorry. Apart from quantization, right? Like the like, Qlora's thing was like. So with Relora, what they did was you would go through, you would define some number of steps that you would train like your Lora with or your Qlora. Like you could do, like re-Qlora if you really wanted to. You would. You would train your LoRa for some number of steps, and then you would merge those weights into your base model, and then you would start over. <laughs> and so by starting, so then by starting over, the optimizer has to find like sort of re-optimize again and find what's the best direction to move in, and then do it all again, and then merge it in, do it all again. Okay. And theoretically, it, according to the paper, doing re-LoRa, you can do parameter efficient fine tuning, but still have sort of like the performance gains of doing a full fine tuning. So, yeah, and GPTQ and GPTQ. So it's I think with GPTQ it's very similar to more similar to QLoRa where you're it's mostly a quantization of the weights down to like four bit where GPTQ is a is a specific methodology or implementation of quantization. So got it. Wing for for folks who use Axolotl, your users, some people who maybe want to try it out. And do they need to know the differences? Do they need to know the implementation details of QLora versus ReLora? Or is it okay for them to just know that Axolotl is the place that already integrated them? And and if they if that's true, if that's all they need to know, how do they choose which method to use? Yeah. So I think like I think most people are going to be using ReLora. I think most people are going to be using your either Lora or QLora. And I think they should have it. They they should have an understanding of why they might want to use one over the other. Most people will say that with QLoRa, 
the quality of the of the final model is not quite as good as like if you were to do a Laura or a full fine tune, right? Just because you've quantized these down, so your accuracy is probably a little off, and so that by the time you've done the Q Laura, you're not moving the weights how you would on a full fine tune with the full parameter weights. So. Interesting. Okay, cool. For people who are more interested, obviously read the papers. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to give people like a high level overview of yeah. uh, what these things are. And you've done dual service by making it easy for for people to try it out. Yeah. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna also ask a question which I know to be wrong, but I, I'm I'm curious because I get asked this all the time. What is the difference between all these kinds of fine tunes and RLHF? Okay, between all of these sorts of fine tunes and RLHF. So all of these sorts of fine tunes are based are ideally. This they are taking knowledge that the base model already knows about and presenting it in a way to the model that you're having the model answer like use what it already knows to sort of answer in a particular way, whether it's you're extracting general knowledge, a, a particular task, right? Instruct tune, chat, those sorts of things. And then generally with RLHF, so what is Let's go back. What is it? Reinforcement learning with human feedback. So if we talk, if we start with the human feedback part, what you're doing is you generally have you have like a given prompt, and then you maybe you have one, maybe you have two. I think like if you look at with Starling, you have like up to what seven different seven different possible responses, and you're sort of ranking those responses on on some sort of metric, right? Whether the metric is how much I I might like that answer versus, or I think with like Starling is like how 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 helpful was the answer, how accurate was the answer, how toxic was the answer, those sorts of things on some sort of scale, right? And then using that to go back and like sort of take a model and nudge it in the direction of giving that feedback to be able to answer questions based on those preferences. Yeah. yeah. So you can apply, and is it commutative? Can you apply? fine-tuning after and onto an RLHF model, or should the RLHF apply, come in afterwards, uh, after the fine-tuning? You, um, you know what I'm talking I, about? Yeah. I don't know that there's been enough research for yeah, one way okay. or another. Like, That's a question think, that's been asked on this. Yeah, like, I, just... I definitely w- would say I don't know the answer. Go and try <laughs> it and report back to me and let me know so I can answer for the next guy. It's shocking how much is still unknown about yeah. all these things. Well, I mean, that's what research is for, right? So actually, I, I think I saw on the top of a leaderboard, it was a, it was a Mistral base model, and they didn't actually fine-tune it. They or they they just did RLH they did like an RLHF fine tune on it using like I don't I don't recall which data set but it was like and it benchmarked really well but yeah you'd have to go and look at it but so it's Ooh, interesting but... like going back to that it's like traditionally most people will fine tune the model and then do like a DPO PPO some sort of reinforcement learning over that but that that particular model was it seemed like they skipped like the supervised fine tuning or Got. Cool. One one thing I did also want to comment about is the overall like landscape, a competitive landscape. I don't know. Hugging Face Transformers, I think, has a P- PFT module. Yeah, yeah. The PFT, the the parameter efficient fine tuning. Yep. Is that a competitor to you? No, no. So okay. we actually use it. We're just a wrapper over sort of sort of the Hugging Face stuff. So so that is their own sort of module where they have taken the responsibility or yeah, the responsibility of like where you're doing these parameter efficient fine-tuning methods and just sort of like it is in that particular package where Transformers is mostly responsible for sort of like the modeling code and 
and the trainer, right? And then sort of there's an integration between the two. And there's like a variety of other fine-tuning packages. I think like TRL, yeah, TRLX. That's, that's the Stability AI one. Yeah, I think TRLX well, is Stability Carper, AI. Carper, yeah, yeah, Carper. And like TRL is, is a Hugging Face trainer. Even that one's uh, just another wrapper over, over the Transformers library and the PEF library, right? But what we do is we have taken sort of those, yes, we've we also use that, but we also have more validation, right? So there are some of us who have done enough fine tunes where like, oh, this and this just don't go together, right? But most people don't know that. So like, uh, example, pe- like people want to doesn't go together. I don't have an example offhand, but if you turn this knob and this knob, right, you would think, all right, maybe this will work, but you don't know until you try, and then. By the time you find out it doesn't work, it's like you maybe five minutes bucks. later, it's failed. <laughs> it's failed in the middle of training, or it's failed during the evaluation step, and you're like, ah. So we've we've added a lot of we've added a lot more validation in it, uh, so that like when you you've created your configuration, you run it through, and now you set the validation goes says this is probably not right or probably not what you don't not what so you want. So are you like a you you do some linting of your YAML file? There, like, I guess you could call it linting. It's sort of like... Is there a set of rules uh, there somewhere? Like, yeah, there's I, a set I of rules in it? there. Yeah, yeah there's That's amazing. You should write documentation like... This rule is because this user at this time like ran into this bug, and that's what we invested. Yeah. In. It's like like a good collection of knowledge. Yeah, it is, and I guess like if you really wanted to like figure it out, I guess you could like get blame everything, and yeah, yeah. but yeah, it's so. I think that's always a useful thing. Is like because people want to experiment, but they don't. People will get frustrated when you've experiment you're experimenting and it breaks and you don't know why or you know why and you've just gone down the rabbit hole right so so i think that's one of the big features that's that i think i find important because it's it prevents you from doing things you probably shouldn't have and it and sometimes we will let you do those things but we'll try and warn warn you that you've done that i i have a follow-up question this actually because yesterday we hung out to this open source event and i i spent time by you a couple of times like when people told you oh xlr i use xlr it's super cool and then the first thing you asked is like immediately like what what can we improve and you asked from multiple folks and i think we talked about this a little bit where you're it's it's a developer tool. It's like a machine learning slash developer tool. Your your purpose is in this is to help and kind of mm-hmm. p- keep people as much as possible. Like, hey, here's the best set of things that you can use right now. The bear libraries are or the bear trainer, for example, is a bear trainer. And also maybe we should talk about how fast you're implementing these things. So you mentioned the first implementation took took a week or so. Now there's a core maintainer group, right? There's like features are landing, like QLora, for example, Neptune. I don't know if that's one example of something that people potentially said that it's going to be cool. And then eventually like one of those things that it didn't really shake out, like people quickly tested this out. So there's a benefit of Neptune is canceled. I, I don't know if it's fully canceled, but based on vibes, oh, I, I heard that it's not that great. So like, the, but the whole point that I'm trying to make with Neptune as well is that being existing in the community of like XLR or like I don't know, even following the the GitHub options or following the Discord, it's a fairly good way to like learn these kind of gut feelings that you just uh, you just said right like where this maybe this knob that knob doesn't work some of these are not written down some of these like tribal knowledge that passes from from place to place axel is like a great collection of many of them and so do you get 
that back also from community of folks who just use like how do you know who uses this i think th that's still an issue like knowing if they train with axolotl sh should they add this to, to a thing should uh, talk about how do you get feedback and and how else you should get feedback yeah i mean most of the feedback comes from the discord so people come in and they don't have get a training running they run into like obscure errors or errors that maybe you know maybe as a product we could catch but like there's a lot of things that at some point we need to go and do and it's just on on the list somewhere right that's why when people come up i'm like what what were your pain points because like as a developer tool if you're not happy with it or you come in and in the first takes you 30 minutes and you're still not happy you leave the tool and you make you might move on maybe to a better tool maybe to an, one with less frustration but may not be as good right so i'm trying to like figure out all right how can i reduce all the frustration because like for me i use it every day for the most part right and so i'm blind to that right mm -hmm. i just know all right go do this this and this and it's it pretty much mostly works right but I, so I don't have sort of that all right that learning curve that other people are seeing and don't know don't understand their their pain points. Yeah, you, you don't have the 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 ability to onboard yourself as a new user, completely new to the whole paradigm, <laughs> exactly. to like get into the doors of like oh no I don't even know how to like ask about this problem or error. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. The last few things I wanted to cover was also just the, the more advanced stuff that you covered yesterday. So I'll just caution this as like, yeah, this is more advanced, but you mentioned Stack Llama and Multipack. What are they and what should people know? Yeah. So, so Stack Llama was, that paper came out. So Stack Llama, I think was like two, two, two separate, two separate concepts that they announced. So the first one was... They being Hugging Face. Yeah, sorry. Yes, they being hugging face. The, so the first one being sort of like this idea of packing, like some packing sequences together. So like if we think about training data, right, your training data is, let's say, to keep the math easy, let's say your training data is 500. We, 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 we'll use the terminology words. Let's say your training data is 500 words long. And let's say your your context length, you know, how much data your that your model can accept is like, or that you want to feed into your model, it's let's say, we won't use tokens again, we'll, we'll use, it's, it's 4,000 tokens, right? So if you're training at 4K con, or 4, 4, 4K context, and you're only using 500 of it, you're sitting like with the other 1,500, 3,500 words miss that you're not using, right? And typically that's either filled with these pad tokens. So um, I think I made the um, analogy last night that it's like having sort of like a glass here, you fill it up with a shot of liquor and then you're, and that's your training data. And then you just fill it up with more water and those are your pad tokens. And it's just, it doesn't do much, right? It's still the same thing, but you, you still have to go through all of that to go through all your training data. And then so what Stack Llama showed was you could just sort of take your training data, append the next row of training data until you fill that entire uh, 4K context. So with, in this example, right, with 500 words to 4K, that's eight, eight rows of training data. But the problem with that is, is that with a lot of these transformer models, they're very much relying on attention, right? So like if you now have this sequence of, of words that now – in order for the the model has seen all of these other words before it right and then it sees another set of words another set of words but it's learning everything in context of all the words that's seen before it does, we haven't corrected the attention for that and just real quickly since i said that that paper was two concepts the other one was i believe it was like a reinforcement learning but outside the scope of this so going from that 
I, I implemented that early on because I was like, oh, wow, this is really great. And yes. Because it, it saves you a bunch of Yeah, it saves uh, you a bunch runs. of time. Yeah. Uh, and, but the trade-off is a little bit of accuracy ultimately, yeah. but it, it still did pretty well. I think when I did Manicore, I think it, it used sort of that that concept from Manic, from Stack Llama of just sort of appending these sequences together, right? And then sort of the next evolution of that is multi-pack, right? So there was a separate paper on that. It was, I believe it was referenced, they got referenced in the ORCA paper where you could, you could properly mask those out using like a, I think it was like a lower block triangular attention mask. And then sort of, so, so there's that. I did try implementing that, manually recreating that mask. But then one one from the open chat, so he was helping with open orca as well, and he sh- and he had done an impl- implementation of multi pack, and where he used flash attention. So flash attention, so that was released by TreeDAO, and it was this huge performance gain using <laughs> everybody uses it now, even the Transformers library now. They've taken all of these like people are taking all of these models and sort of like making it compatible with flash attention. But in flash attention, there is, a, there is um, one particular implementation that lets you say, well, I'm sending you all of these uh, sequences like you would in Stack Llama, but let me send you another, another set of information about this is where this set of sequences is, this is where the second set of sequences is. So like if it was like 500 words long and you stacked them all together, you would just send it a a row of information that was like zero, five hundred, a thousand, fifteen hundred, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, out to four thousand, and it would know. All right, I need to break this up and then uh, run the run the run the forward pass with it, and then it would be able to. And it was much more much more performant, and I think you end up seeing like ten x, twenty x improvements over sort of. With, I mean, I think flash attention was like a two x improvement, and then. Adding that with the multi-pack, you start to see, like, depending on how much data you have, up to, like, a 20x improvement sometimes. 20x. 20x. Wow. Yeah. And, so, and, and, I, and I only know the 20x because I, like, <laughs> before last night, I was like, I, I, I re-ran the alpaca. I, I, look, I looked up the alpaca paper because it was like, I just need a frame of reference that where somebody did it. <laughs> and, and I think they used eight A100s for three hours. And they said it cost them a hundred dollars. I don't. I don't think eight A one hundreds cost. I don't know how much it costs right now. But Since I ended up rerunning usually it. Usually a dollar an hour, right? Yeah. yeah so eight. Times. The cheapest is like a dollar. Yeah. A dollar an hour for one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's still like twenty twenty four twenty five dollars. But maybe if you're going on a zero, maybe it's like yeah. maybe it's a hundred dollars on a zero. Yeah. I mean, it used to be more expensive like a year yeah. ago. Yeah, and then so I reran it with sort of like all, I turned on all of the optimizations just to see what it would be, and like and usually multipack is the biggest optimization, so multipack with flash attention, and it I think I spun it up on eight L40s, and it ran and I didn't let it run all the way through. I just grabbed the time, the estimated completion time. It was like thirty minutes, so it would have cost like four or five dollars to run the entire, like reproduce the alpaca paper, right? Yeah. Which is crazy. So it's crazy. Twenty x, yeah. Yeah. I want to ask about like you said, you turned on all the optimization. Is that the YAML file with Axolotl? Do you just go and like check off like I want this, I want Planet Yeah, yeah. So there's like one particular YAML file in there that there's one particular YAML file in there that's like, it's under examples, Llama 2, FFT optimized. So I think someone had created one where they just 
turn they they put in all of the optimizations and turned them on. I mean, it, it actually it does run, which is like sort of surprising sometimes because sometimes <laughs> you optimize this, optimize this, and sometimes they just don't work together. But yeah, there's it's yeah, just it's turn 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 the knobs on and like. Every, like fine tuning should really just be that easy, right? I just want to flip the knob and yep. move on with my life and not figure out how to implement it. Yeah. Specifically, the guy behind Flash Attention came up with something new. You want to talk about this a little bit? You want to briefly cover Mamba? Yeah, let's talk about Mamba. Let's yeah. talk about Mamba. So, what is Mamba? <laughs> oh gosh, I mean, I I have not read the paper end to end. Like, I think you need to find someone smarter to tell you what Mamba is. But uh, I think, in a nutshell, it's sort of this like attentionless, attentionless mo- model architecture. So, I think it was like using a lot of his learnings from like, I think Stanford did a lot of like sort of attentionless models with like, I think Hyena several months ago as well. So it is sort of this evolution of the, of, of these, of this research they've done. And apparently I believe it is what five X faster for inference, but the, the memory requirements are sub quadratic. So like, I think, so with, with, with models that have attention as you scale, the context length out, the memory and in, in the infer- in the inference and training time goes up quadratically, like or squared, right? Whereas this one is closer, much closer to linear. So it's it's really exciting, and there's a lot of like I think a, a lot of people in the community are excited about it because, especially I was talking with LGJ yesterday, and he was saying it showed I think with the perplexity curves and given the same exact like comparing. A, I think it was like a 140 million parameter model with the Pythia 140 million parameter model trained on the exact same data set as that model that there was a, that the, I believe the uh, perplexity curves were a little bit lower than the Pythia model. So, yeah. I think one thing LDJ also is the the, the guy behind. He, he was super excited to get like us to talk on Thursday about Mamba as well. He mentioned to me that the significant improvements in performance it could be like two x in the beginning where like lower tokens are, hmm. but then as you scale more with lo- longer longer tokens because the the non quadratic the almost linear type scale it's the performance improvements for larger and bigger and like more models are significant like in the. 10x to maybe yeah, 20x. Yeah, I think he said uh, 10 to 100x. Is 10 to 100x, yeah. 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 Uh, at, at the larger models. And that's that's where we want to go. Like, we want to get to like the, the bigger sizes, the longer trains, like, yeah, yeah. yeah the, so, in particular, the, long, the longer context lengths. So, like, if you're talking like 50, 60, like, or 128k context, like, what is it, GPT Turbo now? Yeah. Or 4 Turbo? I think yes. it can do 128k context. So, like, getting out to that because it's no longer quadratic, yeah, it's like, it's it's just as fast. It, I believe it should be just as fast, like generating those tokens as it is like on a short on a yeah. short prompt. So. so this came out just recently, and then between running to this open source AI driving here in Uber, like <laughs> you already put out something that I saw that that you started. Wait, what? Uh, something today? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What did you do? Well, I mean, so like Tree and I, I forget who the other author is on that paper. They had released sort of the modeling code on on GitHub and then sort of like it wasn't they hadn't quite put it like made it like transform or transformers library native. So and it it didn't quite drop in like cleanly into like Axolotl to get it so that you could fine tune it. So like it was one of the things I actually wanted to try and get done before the before the meetup yesterday and just demo that because that would be awesome, right? Because awesome. I think it dropped on Thursday and 
you know, well, no, what day? Is, no, today is Thursday. I keep Tonight's thinking. Thursday. I keep. I keep thinking today was Friday. That's why I said. I think so. It dropped on what Tuesday. The meetup was Wednesday. I wanted to get it demoed for that, but it. I was. I was getting it where it would like the the loss would just go to zero and just fail. So, but yeah, right before coming here, I was working on it this morning, and I think we finally got it working. So, I think Pharrell's training something on it. I'm pretty sure like Tanyil is going to be training something on it soon. So, yeah. So we're, we'll see. But I, I wanted to to highlight the the speed because you started with like within a week the first alpaca or uh, implementation and change in axolotl came, and now like you're talking about like three days, and that's with you flying, and that's with you like presenting and and talking yeah on, yeah. on podcasts. Yeah, it's very productive. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, excellent. Well, so we're, we're going to start wrapping up soon, okay. but I always wanted to give you space to also talk about what you're working on next and on, on the roadmap for Axolotl. Yeah, I think so. Roadmap for Axolotl is really like, I think, trying to stabilize sort of the, the feature set. Like, so the first thing on the roadmap is to write the roadmap and then <laughs> sort of going from there. It's, I think, so for me, the sort of the vision is like, it's, it's a developer first platform, right? And as a developer, you you're maybe mo- you're more than likely doing this sort of this side hustle side project trying to figure out like how do I build LLMs and you know how do I build you know how do I use a trainer that sort of thing and then you're you get comfortable with this tool and then you maybe you take it to your company and you're training models for where you work right so and then ultimately you're saying I want to use this because it's easy and I know how to use it so for me given that sort of like if i follow that through that that thought through it's like well companies don't want to use this if it's hard for them to like if given their specific use cases right they might need something specific in the workflow that they i and i what i don't want is to have is them having to fork it like like fork it in a way that is like hard to maintain that if they want to get features they then have to like rebase it and all of that so for me and it, I've, I actually have like a issue in GitHub that's about three or four months old at this point of exactly yet expose a pl- like create a plugin system expose sort of like these hooks where uh. you can p- companies can go in build their own plugins and sort of like modify like hyperparameters on the fly or modify various like attributes of training. Yeah, it's becoming a platform. Yeah, exactly. So Absolutely. I need to provide a way for for them to be able to like use it in a, in a in a reliable manner and something that that they can go and vet and feel comfortable using. Right. Yeah. So awesome. You are working independently. You, you left um, SoundCloud a few months ago, and you have you have a nonprofit, the mm-hmm. Open Access AI Collective. It has a Discord. People can join. Yeah. How else can people support you? I think really like for me the biggest thing is like I, I'm looking I'm always looking for contributors like we have a great set of core contributors Nanobit Amon or slash TMM one Casper Hansen and then and there are probably a few others who I don't have the names offhand for we need, we we do see some like smaller PRs trickle through but like. A lot of the sort of like, if I had somebody that could have gone and done mom before me, that would make my life a hundred times easier, right? I wouldn't have to be scrambling between Ubers and meetings and those sorts of things to try and like get that implemented. So there's definitely this like roadmap of things to do and and nice to haves, right? And and like Nano is great at being a community manager and answering questions and sort of feeling all of that and being technical and, you know, it's really technical and can still open PRs and fix things. And like, so, and he's a graduate, so he's a graduate student in Japan working 
doing research and somehow he finds time to like support this community, right? He's amazing. I love him. And I think everybody should like show him some love. And then, but yeah, like ultimately the, I think the, the big, yeah, the biggest thing that I could ask for would be just, yeah, more core contributors. Cool. All right. Well, if you're interested in checking it out, um, check out Exolotl. Alex, anything else to, to add? Yeah, I will say, folks who are listening to us, open source doesn't just happen. It happens because there's a bunch of great people yeah. giving their life basically to these things. So first of all, be nice in comments. Like, like it's, that's obvious. Like if you want to come in and complain about something, <laughs> be productive and do the work as much as possible so the person who's like giving out of their life to help you will actually find it like easier. It usually gets to a point where like a small project becomes a platform. The platform then has rules and then it's, it's making it hard for some people to just go in and, and kind of say, hey, this thing or that thing. But it's like remember there's people contributing without necessarily a lot of gain from it just because to contribute to the community and then also come in and contribute. If if you're using Axolotl and I heard many people, commercial people come up to you, A16Z folks come up to you, like many people, if they use Axolotl, give back. Give back to the community. I think it's always great. So I just like, if you're listening to this mm-hmm. and you've used Axolotl, it helped you. Th- there is a way to also co- contribute, not necessarily as only co-contributor co- uh, as a sponsorship. R- reach out reach out to, to you as well, but definitely talk about this and, and give feedback as well. That's also very helpful. Yeah. Sometimes people get stuck and it's like, ah, okay, we'll do something else. No, just give feedback, talk about this. I think everybody else will generally benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. All right. Cool. cool. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Everybody should try Axolotl and tell us what they think. Yeah. <laughs>